0: Good morning. Have you been able to come to terms with the insanity that it's June 2nd already of 2019? Just, mm. all right, so it feels a million years ago, but at the same time, it feels yesterday. In September, we started on a journey, if I can use that language here at Fellowship of Faith together, and what we started doing in September was looking at These very practical, nuts-and-bolts aspects of the Christian faith. How-to's. How do we actually follow Jesus day-to-day? So often we talk about it at theoretical levels, don't we? We get the doctrinal kind of stuff right, the biblical stuff kind of right. But what we've been trying to do is really just unearth, so how do I actually do it Monday morning? And last September, we started with a series and run of all these different how-tos that we wanted to address, and today, believe it or not, comes to our last day of this run together. And the topic that I'm going to be sharing with you today is one that I've got to tell you, I've been excited about, but I think when I say it, you're not going to (laughs) be, at least at first, but I want to encourage you to hang with me. Thank you. (laughs) It's allergy season. But I do want to encourage you to hang with me and hopefully see something that I think to many of us feels so banal, boring, been there, done that. See it with new eyes in a new way. Here's what we're talking about. How do I deal with a sin in my life? Here's my fear. In approaching a topic like this, as soon as I talk about the word sin and put it in context of a sentence like, how do I deal with it in my life, I think a lot of us kind of go to sleep because it sounds churchy. And so we go into what I would call churchy mode. And churchy mode is kind of this. You know what, I don't really need to explain it, but I want to let you know what I mean. It's the kind of mode that a lot of us had when we Did church at some point in our life where we just kind of tune back to passive mode, sit and let the churchy words wafe over us that kind of live up here in some weird cloudy etherealness without any real touch point to reality? I feel like that's what the word sin has become. It is either theological or it is churchy. When I talk about sin, and dealing with the sin in our life. A lot of people I've talked to and met think we start talking about churchy kind of things, meaning rituals you're supposed to do, practices and patterns that you're supposed to bring into your life in a weekly kind of way. If you grew up Catholic, it might be something like eating meat on Fridays or how you practice Lent. If you grew up Lutheran, it might be about the right kind of way of doing a service. If you grew up Pentecostal, it's how many times you speak in tongues in a given service. I don't know. But sin kind of has these church rule ideas attached. And so I think a lot of us roll our eyes. Kind of just, okay, okay. Let it talk out there, and I guess it's supposed to be important, but really, is it? But then I think there's another side that's also true for all of us, and it uses a different set of vocabulary. I want to talk about the regret that you've brought in here today, because I know you have it. And honestly, if you don't have regret in your life yet, I assure you, it will come. It will. I want to talk about those things that you regret, those things that still bring you a sense of shame and sorrow, those things that you carried in here. They hover over you sort of like a specter. And even if it might be something in the past, it hasn't really left Or even if it's something that you've dealt with once before, it seems to pop up again. And again, I want to talk about those things that if time travel was ever perfected, it was that thing that you would go back and do so differently. And I want to talk about those aspects of who you are, those parts of yourself that you really don't like. And I don't mean you're standing in the mirror going, I don't like my hair, my shoulders are too big, or, you know, all that kind of stuff. No, I mean those things in your soul. Those things in your soul that you really just don't like and you wish could be different. Because, see, it's that kind of stuff that the Bible attaches the word sin to. And when I talk about dealing with the sin in your life, it's that type of thing I want to share with you today. Those things that you thought you dealt with, but they keep popping up when you least expect it again and again. And I've got good news for you if that's clicking right now, but it's actually bad news if you think about it. What I'm describing is completely normal. That feeling you have, that thing you deal with, it is completely normal because the life of anyone in this world, especially for those who are Jesus followers, is learning how to deal with that stuff in your life as you seek God and faithfulness to Christ. Now, this aspect of us that we all have, theologians have a word for it, and I want to share it with you today. eustis et peccator. Isn't that great? eustis et peccator. Because if you can't say it in Latin, you're just letting the best in life pass you by. Simultaneous saint and sinner is the theological description of what every single one of us in Christ happens to be. And I want to show you how the Bible puts this. If you would, open up to Romans chapter 6 with me. If you don't have a Bible, totally cool. Reach under a chair. You'll find one ducked in there. Otherwise, pull out your phone and go to Romans chapter 6 with me. And let's just let the Bible itself describe what I'm talking about, simulate Eustace et peccator, and how to deal with sin in life. Chapter 6, verse 1. Are you there? I'll give you a moment. Now, Paul, who writes this letter, look at how he opens it. He asks a question. What shall we say? What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Now, it's kind of an odd question to ask. Would you agree? Let me set it up for you just a little bit. Just a couple sentences earlier, Paul makes this amazingly mind-blowing claim. He says this, where sin increases, grace increases all the more. You can't out-sin God. You cannot outdo God's grace. No matter who you are and what you've carried into this place, it is not so big that God's grace is not bigger than it. And in fact, the more you sin, the more God will pour out his grace on you. So I need to ask you a question today. And you need to raise your hands on this. Be bold, be brave. I'm putting you on the spot. Yes, I am. Who here wants grace in their life? Who here wants more grace in their life? Do you know how to get it according to Paul? Sin. And if you follow the logic with me, it kind of makes sense, right? See, you know, I, like, I do some little thing, hurt someone in a small way, do some minor little thing that doesn't seem like a big deal. God doesn't really have to pour out a lot to deal with that. Are you kind of with me? But, you know, if I, like, go, like, murder people and then cook them and eat them for Memorial Day and, like, carve their bones into idols and sell them on the black market to be worshipped by people in other countries, we're kind of getting next level there. Would you agree? Would you agree that would kind of require... Someone is, like, so disturbed in the back row right now. That would require... A lot more grace to cover. In fact, which would make God look better? Right? God forgives this, we go, okay, that's cool. But God forgives that? Oh my gosh, right? Where sin increases, grace increases all the more, and who doesn't want more grace? In fact, what makes God even look better? And so can you see the logic? Go on sinning. Keep on sinning. Sin worse and worse because the grace of God will be poured out on you. And so Paul opens this and says, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And 10 of you are like, Yeah, right now, let's do it. But Paul goes another way By no means. No, no, don't go off the rails with what I'm saying here. And look at what he says next. We died to sin. If we've been united with him like this in death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified. It was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we no longer may be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we here today have died with Christ... We believe we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. You know what that means? If you're in Christ, you are dead. You're a dead person, dead and buried. And sin no longer has power over you. Those regrets, those sources of shame, those things that you hate about yourself, it no longer has power over you because that part of you has been crucified. It's said, buried with Christ. If Christ was dead and raised, which he is, you are dead, buried, and raised to in him. Eustace. Saint is what it means. You are a saint in Christ, in God's eyes. More than that, you're a new creation. See, when it comes to dealing with sin, God is concerned with far more than just forgiving and pardoning. And when we deal with sin in relation to God, it's more than just him like kind of going... Don't worry about paying the fine. I've taken care of it. No, it's what the Bible will call transformation, new creation, that God does more than forgive you, that God makes you something new. Jesus will talk about it this way. He'll say, you're born again. Born again. That something is different and new in you so much that it can only be described by a metaphor of having new life, new birth. But i got to ask you the question today. Do you feel truly like sin is dead in your life? Do you feel like a saint? Do you feel like a new creation who has been liberated from the desire of sin, from the presence of sin, from the stronghold of sin, and from all the ways it grabs hold in your life. Look at what Paul says next. 6 verse 11. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Think about it for a second. Isn't that an odd thing to say? Count yourself dead? Do dead people need to count themselves dead? Do you go to the cemetery and have to go up to the graves of people and go, now remember, you're really dead. Because if you're dead, you're dead. Why do you have to count or consider yourself in any way? It should be a done reality. And yet that's not what Paul has to say. He says, because of this reality, count yourself dead. Because you know what's funny about that side of ourselves that's supposed to be dead? It loves to come back to life again, doesn't it? It's like the zombies of our former life come out of the grave and come roaming around. It's like, I thought I've dealt with you. And they're back again. Because what Paul gives is this picture of what will be. What will be in Christ someday, the reality of which starts now. But until Christ comes again, we will still be at peccator. Sinners as well. Saint and sinner. A justus peccator. It's a description of who you are at the exact time same time, dead to sin, and yet sin's still alive and well in your life. Welcome to the human condition. I love how Galatians has to put this, and I want to read this to you today. Look at what Paul kind of writes. He says, "...the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit." and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Have you ever felt like you were at war with yourself? Like there were two sides within yourself that were competing and vying and fighting? I've got good news for you, which, if you think about it, is bad news. It is completely normal dealing with sin is the reality for anyone this side of eternity. And now I want to show you how. I want to show you a picture here today. Let's see how this works. This is a picture of a part of my front lawn. So, from our house, you could kind of see the garage in the background to the right. You come up and our driveway comes up to the road. And then we have grass. And at the front, we used to have this great pine tree row that kind of died over time. And of course, as the pine branches died up, the weeds started to come up too. Now, this patch that's mulched here, i got to tell you, it became jungle madness. It hit a point where it was so thick, so dense, it's like you would just drive by and you'd always have this feeling. Just you'd look at it and go, oh. You know, it just kind of like defeat you inside. You know what I mean? Those of you who have had this? Now, we went to war on this patch. And I could only describe it as war. We actually invented games like with our kids. We had this one called Weeds with Friends. Hey, kids, invite all your friends to come over and weed. It was fantastic. And I got to tell you, what was it, guys? Like five years, seven years, we were out fighting this thing. Weeding this thing, overturning it again and again. We've got a lot of trees on our property, which means we can make a lot of mulch. I poured so much mulch here. That thing's like nine inches deep, I swear. Nothing is going to grow in there, right? And if you look at it, it looks pretty good. It kind of does. I mean, okay, I have three perfectionists here. Nothing looks good to you. But... It looks kind of good. Sure, you see a few that are popping up. We've entered that time of the year I absolutely hate. Don't you hate it too? I love April when spring just starts to come in. Everything's light green. Everything's new. Everything's fresh. Everything's warming up, coming back to life. But the weeds haven't grown yet. But now it's June, and they're starting to pop up just a little bit and if you start to look at it closely you can see that there's a lot more there than you actually catch at first glance are you kind of with me on that none of them are terribly big but they're kind of starting to pop up here and there all over the place Now, if you're like me, and you drive by that in your yard, you kind of do this. Don't worry about it. it. Looks pretty good. I got other things to do. Don't worry about it. It's not too unsightly. It's socially acceptable for the neighborhood. I can deal with that whenever I want. Maybe an hour out there. Go on out. Yank it all up. It'll look great again. So why lose sleep over it now? And yet, have you found that what's over the surface is often very different than what's under the surface? That what you see is often just symptomatic of a deeper, embedded root network that is far more complex and far more established than meets the eye. Any of you who have ever done gardening or landscape care, you know exactly what I mean, don't you? Now, if you haven't connected the dots yet, let me make it crystal clear for you. This is how I think most of us deal with sin we look at ourselves and we go, yeah, I look pretty good. Certainly socially acceptable. Certainly nothing that's going to grab notice or stick out or cause complaints. Oh yeah, we could see a couple of things when we take the time, but it's so kind of absent before our eye that truth be told, we drive by it a hundred times a day without really paying it a second thought. And if we tend to look a little bit closer, do a little bit more self-examination, we go, oh yeah, I guess there is some more stuff there than I actually noticed at first, but really, it's not that bad. It's not that bad, and I can deal with it whenever I want. It'll be easy when I get motivated or find the time to deal with it in some kind of intentional way. Now let me show you the same patch from another angle. Okay, I hid that view from sight. I didn't want to show you how big a few of them got and we kind of do that too, don't we? We show people certain angles We let people get to know us in certain ways that only expose the small weeds. But we look at it from a different angle, and, well, no, okay. There are some there that have gotten a little bit bigger, a little bit thornier, a little bit more difficult to manage. But still, nothing arguable that's out of our control. Are you kind of with me? Now I want to show you another piece of our property. Also up at the front, but now more over to the side. Welcome to my defeat. Yeah, thanks for that. (laughs) I gave up. I quit over here a long time ago. this patch has defeated me. I hate this patch. I've left it unattended, I haven't dealt with it, and it has taken over. Now you might be looking at it going, well, it still isn't that tall, even though it's pervasive. Yeah, I'm kind of with you in that, but have you ever tried to deal with these plants? Do you ever get these elephant ear things in your lawn? You cannot pull these things out to save your life. I cannot tell you how many times I've kicked them, spit on them, run over them with the mower, yanked them out, only to have the stem break off. Their roots go so deep. I don't understand it. It's like its root goes like 83 miles deep. It's like it's hitting magma layers, and then it starts to sprout out. And no matter what you do, you just can't get it out. I have fought on these things. I have battled these things. And they come back again and again with this root network that has taken hold to the point of absolute and utter defeat. All of this to me is a metaphor for sin. And I want to ask you today, how are you dealing with the sin in your life. Because what I found is this. God, in fact, promises radical forgiveness and transformation. And I have seen it happen for people. I've seen people who have sin entrenched in their life, come to Christ in some powerful kind of way and report in words that they can only begin to, be, to describe How these issues that they used to have are no longer there. These struggles that they had are no longer there. And even the desires they had for it, how it now, for lack of other language, feels dead and buried. And I want to tell you this, that can happen. But you know what I found the other 90% of the time? God works in a very different way, through the slow, methodical, vigilant work of uprooting the sin day by day by day. See, in places I don't talk about, I pray at night that God will miraculously uproot that plant. I hope that when I wake up, I'm going to go out and look at that plant, and those things are going to be gone. Daffodils are going to be in its place. The pine trees have grown back to the ground, and someone mulched it while I slept. And you know what? God can do that. He can. And I've been praying for that for years. But it's a funny thing as long as I've been praying for that, it hasn't happened. Instead, the roots just got deeper. The weeds got more pervasive. Beauty has been marred more and more. And the good and healthy living things have been choked out in the process. I want to compare that to this picture again over here. Where we've taken a different approach where the family has gotten intentional about it, and we've engaged in what I would call active weed management, where we turn the mulch once a year, where we walk through it about once a month to do a a quick pick on whatever has come up. And you better believe it, we can't keep everything out. Certain roots have a way that we've missed of popping up again, and new seeds find a way of planting themselves in it. But would you agree that this is a very different picture than this? See, what does Paul have to say? Count yourself dead to sin. In verse 13 or 12, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer the parts of your body as instruments of righteousness, for sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Dealing with sin is like weed management. It is the constant, vigilant work of Examining, identifying, and taking the time to deal with those things that are seeking to take root in your life. Because you know what I found with sin? It is never content to remain status quo. A weed doesn't grow and just say, you know what, I'm just going to kind of stay here. I'm going to get to be about like six inches tall and just like, just, just leave me be in my little place. Have you noticed it never works like that? Leave it go when it wants to grow. Leave it grow, leave it go when it flourishes. Leave it go and it starts to take root in a way that becomes far more difficult, far more traumatic, far more invasive to finally uproot someday. Now, since September, we've been. Going through these how-tos and these past several weeks, we've been looking at Proverbs take. And if you have been reading through the book of Proverbs, it describes different kinds of people. It'll talk about the wise, people who are wise. It'll talk about fools. And it'll talk about those who are wicked. For today's purposes, I just want to highlight the wise and the fools here today. Read through Proverbs and it will give all kinds of insights, all kinds of clues for you to tell whether you're dealing with a wise person or a foolish one. And all kinds of examples and all kinds of clues to determine yourself, am am I a wise person or a foolish one? But there is one overarching thing. Theme, one, one prevailing thread that you'll see from chapter 1 to 31 to how to distinguish between someone who is wise and someone who is a fool, and it comes down to this, how they deal with sin. Let me show you a few examples from Proverbs here today. I like this one from chapter 12. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge but he who hates correction, and isn't that like fantastic in translation? It's not like, is a fool, all churchy. No, you're just stupid. <laughs> Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Let me ask you here today. Are you the kind of person who loves it when people point out flaws in your life? Are you the kind of person who likes it when people come up to you and share with you The things that are damaging, unsightly, wrong? Are you the kind of person who loves to train, who loves to order and discipline your life to deal with those kinds of things? Or are you the kind of person who just kind of like, can't stand it and can't stand the people who point it out? Like like when someone brings something up, it's always met with like an excuse. Or rationalization, or who do they think they are? They don't know what they're talking about. They should look at their own life. I don't like them anyway. Which kind of person are you? Because the answer to that question will give you insight into whether you're someone who's wise or someone who's a fool. How about this? Fools mock at making amends for sin. But goodwill is found among the upright. Are you the kind of person who acknowledges the weeds in your soul but goes, "You know what? God forgives them. so no big deal. Who cares, really? Are you the kind of person who goes, "You know, yeah, I know I did it, but you know, God forgave it, so just let's just get on with it leaving behind whatever mess that you had to make? Or are you the kind of person who's broken over the things that you've done and goes, I know I can't go back and take them. I know I can't go back and reverse them, but I can do whatever's in my power right now to make it better for the people effective. Because the answer to that question is going to give you an insight into whether you're someone who's wise or a fool. How about this? Who can say I have kept my heart pure? I am clean and without sin. Are you the kind of person who goes, you know what? I'm a good person. I mean, I know I'm not perfect. But no, I'm, I'm good. I'm a good person. And God and other people should just kind of like me for who I am. You know what Proverbs says? You're a fool. How about this? He who confesses his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Are you the kind of person who hides those weeds in your soul? Keeps people out, doesn't let them in. Doesn't let them see those sides of you, those real sides of you, what you're really struggling and dealing with. Or are you the kind of person who goes, yeah, I got weeds in my life. And not because you're boasting and not because you're bragging, but acknowledging, yeah, they're there. I don't like them. And I'm trying to deal with them. And I don't know what to do. But you know, I'm admitting them here today, and I'm saying I don't want them anymore. What kind of person are you? In closing, I want to show you one more. One more from Proverbs that really kind of speaks to me in this. In this little story, the sage tells, he says, I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment and he let it run amok he left it to its own devices he let it get out of con- he just let it go thorns had come up everywhere the ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw See, the question I just want to leave you with today is this. As you look at the lawn of your heart and soul, what are you doing about what you see? Because the answer to that question makes all the difference between wise or fool in God's eyes, and God pities the fool.